family. We're going to be looking at relationships at home. And uh, as I said previously, just want to again remind you of how we've arrived at this place. First two chapters of Colossians, Paul is writing to this church in modern-day Turkey because people have come into the church, other teachers, who have said you need to add to what Christ has done and you need to add some philosophy, you need to add some Jewish uh, tradition, and once you've done that, you will fully understand the complete work of Christ. And Paul, in two chapters, profoundly and very uh, forcefully says Jesus is supreme in all. He is the all in all. He is all that we need for our lives. He is the sufficient one. He is the creator of all. And he paints this amazing picture of Jesus who is all sufficient in every way to, to um, work in our lives. And then in chapter 3, he, the great therefore moment of Colossians, he says, Therefore, because of all that Jesus has done for you, let your life begin to conform to what Christ has done for you. And so Paul is not a moralist. The, the, the Christian faith is not a, moralist, a moral faith in this sense that it instructs us to live by rules. It never does that. It says because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done for you, and the good thing that he has done, and the grace that he's lavished on your life, let the old person that you were before you knew Christ, let that person die, and the new person that is in Christ begin to live. And there are certain behaviors that characterize the new person. And so we looked at that, some of those um, over the last couple of weeks, those four imperatives, the four essentials that Paul says every Christian should put all the effort into. They were very simple things. Set your heart on things that are above. In other words, your motions, your, your focus, your, your vision, set it not on earthly things, not on things that drag you down and consume you about this world, but set your heart on what is in heaven. Set your heart on heavenly things, things of the, the Spirit. Then Paul says, secondly, not only your heart, but your mind. God is, transfor is transforming your mind. And so with all of your will, all of your intellect, set your mind on things that are above Ask God what His will is for your life. And once you begin to understand and God begins to show you what His will is for your life, the third thing that Paul says is, you put to death all in your life that is earthly, all in your life that is sinful, all in your life that would drag you back to be the old person before uh, you knew Christ. That's what you put to death. And Paul says in, in many places in the New Testament, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Everyone can see them. There are things like anger, resentment, unforgiveness, sexual immorality. All of these things are obvious, and these are all fruit of the old man. But now that you are in Christ, there's a new man that wants to live by the Spirit. And what does that new man put on? We looked at that last week. Four things again. The new man puts on a life of love. That's what consumes us. That's our passion as Christians. How can we love God with all of our hearts? And how can we love each other with all of our hearts? And so I said to you, Paul, very purposefully in that, um, those verses, he says, he declares again, as he does in, in, in Galatians, there is therefore now no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female, no Scythian, but all are one in Christ, and Christ is all in all. Yes? And I said to you that in a community like a church like this one, where we have so many different people from so many different backgrounds, 
Nigerian, South African, English, um, now I'm going to get into trouble, uh, New Zealand, uh, American, uh, Greek, uh, whatever. The only thing that is going to keep us together, the only thing that is going to truly, truly unify us is if we can genuinely love each other from the heart. That's what Paul says. That is church community, loving people that are different from you from the heart. The first thing is you put on a life of love. The second thing he said is you clothe yourself with peace. Yeah? Clothe yourself with peace. If we're going to get on with each other, what do we have to become? Peacemakers. What does that imply? Forgiveness. Sooner or later, my friends, if I haven't done it a million times already, I'm going to say something that offends you. I am. It's not a, it's not, I don't want to. <laughs> I'm not trying to, but I am going to. Sooner or later, you're going to say, well, that, I really, why did you say that? And unless there's forgiveness that is our first reaction, that's when the church gets into trouble, isn't it? Because then resentment grows and bitterness grows and, and, and we, can't, we can't be unified with that. So the second thing that Paul says is, the life of love must be your overriding passion. Secondly, peace must be your mission. You have peace with God and therefore try and you must, by the Spirit, have peace with each other. And that's what he says we give, put our effort into, having peace with God and peace with, peace, peace with each other. Are you still with me? And then thirdly, he said, uh, the third thing that you put on is a life of praise. Isn't that wonderful? And remember I said uh, in all of his letters, thankfulness and gratitude comes up over and over and over again. And he says, over all these things, put on a life of praise, giving gratitude to the Lord. And then lastly, put on a Christ-centered life. That's what you give your effort to. In other words, live with a clear conscience in all that you do, whether you're eating or drinking or, or having fellowship with people, what you watch, what you see. Do everything with a clear conscience, knowing that you can do it as unto God. That's how we live as Christians. Not by rules, not by a moral code, but by our hearts, our minds, our wills, being clothed with lo the love that we've received from Christ, sharing that love with each other, living with gratitude, and being at peace with all in the church. All right? And now, Paul, again, this is the third block of teaching. Remember I said there were, there were five areas we're going to look at. Paul now says, okay, well, how do we get on with each other in the church? How can we be a healthy family? And again, he gives four things. And they are very simple, and they are the imperatives that he says we must give ourselves to as people of the church. And so I would encourage you, I can't do it this morning because of time, but in your devotions this week, why don't you go and have a look at Ephesians chapter 5? Because Ephesians chapter 5 is the other great chapter on family in the church, and what I'm going to say this morning out of Colossians 3, the basis for much of that is Ephesians 5. So go and refresh yourself in your devotions in Ephesians 5. And um, what Paul is really doing in, in these verses is, remember, it's a Greek culture that he's, he's, he's talking about. And he's taking what normal Greeks would have thought is proper and how they should behave in the culture, in terms of family. And Paul is bringing those expectations and he's bringing them under the rulership of Christ. And he's saying, I recognize those things, but let us talk about how Jesus rules in our families. 
not just our culture, not just what we are expected to do as good citizens, but how does Jesus take that and how does he transform that in a way that inspires and liberates people into the freedom of Christ that he wants all of us to enjoy. All right? And so that's what he's doing. And so he's bringing every relationship between husbands and wives, between parents and children, the relationships that we enjoy with each other. He's bringing all of those under the rulership of Jesus and saying, how does Jesus speak into all of these relationships? And how does that transform us? And how does this help us to live at peace? And so I need to say this straight up front, that some of some people find these verses that I'm about to read really difficult in the 21st century. And because they find them difficult, they dismiss them and say that they, and, and don't, and they don't make any real attempt to understand how they could possibly speak into our lives today. And I can, in a, in a way, I can sympathize, sympathize with that view. Um, it is a challenge to say, well, how can what Paul said 2,000 years ago, how can it be appropriate for our context today? And I hope this morning I'm going to answer that question for you. And as a, a second foundational thing, I want to say I have absolute confidence in the authority of the Scripture. I have absolute uh, confidence in the authority of Jesus' teaching and Paul's teaching. And I have a much greater confidence in that than I do in current perceived wisdom in our, on, in, in our society about social relationships, all of which is in a, a state of flux all the time. What is appropriate socially changes from year to year and week to week. And I have more confidence in the Scripture that the Scripture and the Holy Spirit can speak into my life, that I can have a consistency in my life and my outlook on all relationships than I have in what the world says I should have confidence in. So I want to say that up front, unapologetically. And I want, to, I want to put to you this morning that if we let this Scripture speak into our lives, it is still a word for us today. And if we carefully consider what Paul is trying to say, we will be in a much better position to judge whether it is appropriate for us or not and whether it addresses our present-day needs. So let me plunge in then to the most controversial of these statements that Paul says, and I trust that you're going to be able to understand uh, what he means. He says in verse 18, wives, submit to your husbands. It's a bold statement, and for our tw as 21st century people, it can be both disconcerting and disturbing. What does Paul mean when he uses this word and say, says, wives, submit to your husbands? Now, I want to, I said to you in, uh, already that Ephesians 5 really is the basis of much of what I want to say this morning. And if you go to verse 21 in Ephesians 5, Paul is addressing relationships in the family, and he's speaking even in this chapter about relationships between slaves and masters. And for us in 21st century as well, that is entirely inappropriate language. How can we speak about slaves and masters and the freedom of Christ and the gospel all in the, in, in the, same, in the same sentence? But here's the bedrock for what Paul is saying. The, the freedom that we have in Christ achieves for all of us, whether you are Greek, Jew, slave, or free. Here is what Paul is saying is the underlying freedom that all of us need to recognize. And verse 21 says this, Give thanks always and for everything to God the Father, this is Ephesians 5.21, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and here's the key part, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Underlying everything that Paul is about to say, 
He's saying in the church community, there is a reverent submission that all of us have towards one another. We are submitted to the Christ, to Christ who is the head. And as we are submitted to Christ, there's a recognition that for everything to work cohesively, there is a recognition that we need to submit in some way to each other. And now Paul begins to unpack that a little bit. This implies something for husbands. This implies something for wives. This implies something for children. And unless all of us are prepared to say, I need to understand that something of my life, I'm going to have to submit somewhere for the thing, whole thing to work, it's going to be a problem. Are you with me? And so Paul begins to unpack it. The bedrock for all of our relationships, and I put it to you even at business in business, even at work, is that you have to recognize that you have authority in some areas in your life, and in other areas in your life, you are under authority. And unless you get that right, you will fight with people at work, you will fight with people at home, there will be, there will be tension everywhere, and your life will be stressful. <laughs> so part of the Christian life is recognizing godly authority that I'm under, and part of the Christian life is recognizing I have authority to exercise, and as I exercise that authority with kindness and with love, it brings life to people. This is the difference. And I hope we'll begin to understand that this morning. And so what Paul is trying to say right at the outset is that submission is for all of us. Can I just say that, men? Submission is for you too. It's for you. It's for me. It's for everybody. It's for husbands and wives and children and relationships in family. It's for all of us. That's what Paul says. And so I put it to you, that if, one, if we want to grow up and become mature in Christ, and particularly in our, in our relationships, we have to know, realize and get into our hearts, all of us, whatever we are in the family, that submission is for every single one of us. Okay? And the root, I put it to you this morning, the root is actually the Trinity. <laughs> Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father is the head. Jesus, the Scripture says, is co-equal with the Father, but submitted to Him. They're not fighting. The Holy Spirit points us to Jesus. There's a mutual submission in the Godhead recognizing that the Father is the head. And I put it to you that we can, in our relationships here on earth, know both of those things. The joy of being mutually submitted and giving into the authority and order of God. It is possible to do both of those at the same time just as it, pos it is possible in the Godhead. That's our theology. As is with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, so it is with us in the church, and so it is in our nuclear families that make up the church. If you want some scripture for that, to go and have a look at it. Um, Jesus being co-equal to the Father, John 5, 18. Go and have a look for yourself. And 1 Corinthians 11 also points to that, or 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says that they are equal, but that Jesus is subject to the Father. There's a sense of he is submitted to the Father's will. How many times when you read the Gospels, doesn't Jesus say, not my will, Father, but your will be done? He's equal. He's, he's part of the Godhead. He's co-equal with God in power and authority and everything. And he, he, he says again and again, not my will, Father, but your will. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, I will not do anything except what? the Father shows me to do. There is authority, there is submission, and there's co the, the, the Godhead is co-equal 
Are you with me? I'm driving it home a little bit, but I trust you're getting it. And so I don't think that when Paul speaks about submission here in Colossians 3, he's not imposing, uh, op- uh, opposing anything that he's already established in, in Galatians. And in Galatians, he's saying, all of us have this incredible freedom in Christ. There is no slave. There is no free. There is no Greek. We are one. We are all in all. Christ is all, and, and he's all that we need. He's established that freedom. And now what he's saying in Colossians is, work out your freedom well in the family. Do you get it? Don't abuse your freedom in any way, but work with the freedom in Christ that you have in an amazing way so that the the family thrives. Not battles, but thrives. And so why does Paul say this to wives first if... if, if, um, you know, if it's said that we must lead, uh, men are to lead or whatever, however you want to put it in the family. And what I'm trying to get you to see here is that in the New Testament, there is an ethic of submission. It's something that underlies a whole lot of things. And so what Paul is driving at here is if there's not a mutual submission of love and a willing submission of love and sacrifice in our families, we're not going to understand something of the order of God. And that's going to mean that we're not peaceful in our relationships. And so to simply respond and say to me, and this is all for the first century, it doesn't apply in the 21st century, it's unhelpful and it's misleading as well because it's clear that the sinful nature doesn't like to respond to God's order. Why do I say that? Well, if it was, if it was obvious that um, uh, it was only a thing of what century you live in, why is Paul finding it necessary to say these things in the first century? to Christians in the first century if it's just to do with culture and the time which you live. Are you with me? So if Paul, people always say, oh, it's all out of date. Well, if it's so out of date, well, why did Paul have to say it in the first century? <laughs> no, he had to say it then because the culture didn't want it then either. So what I believe the Bible would say is that there's this unique freedom that we have And the way that we work it out in our families is so important because there needs to be cohesion and peace. And there needs to be cohesion and peace in our individual families, but also in the church. And so Paul is saying to wives, wives, this is what Paul would say to you. You have been radically set free. In pagan cultures, women were second-class citizens. Paul is saying... God has radically set you free from that. You are a co-equal heir with your husband, 1 Peter. You are a co-equal heir with your husband in the kingdom of God. You are absolutely equal in every way to your husband. Come on, ladies, you should say amen. That's what Paul is saying. And it's precisely because they are living in a pagan culture which would have other expectations of women that Paul says, be careful how you work out your freedom in your, this new freedom that you have, wives, so that you can be both an example to the culture and not be misunderstood by the culture. That is what Paul is saying. He's saying you have a radical new freedom. You are not a second-class citizen. You are equal in, in airship to everything in the kingdom. Now work out carefully how you put that into practice in your home so that no one can point a finger from you and say, how does that work? But you're an example to everyone in godliness. Man, that's radical. That's what he's saying. And so 
in spite of what I've all just said, there are still people who would say, don't teach that in the church. The social patterns for women are quite different now. What is normal for women is so different, it doesn't apply. And I want to say in all that I'm going to try and put to you this morning that there are a couple of things we need to always bear in mind. There are certain things that are true in the Bible that are contained in Scripture, and the challenge is how to translate that into our 21st century culture. That's the challenge. Without, out of, with impatience, losing the deeper truth that God is trying to get us to understand. And I want to say to you this morning that there are some deeper truths that God wants us to understand. And if we are impatient, if we don't consciously reflect on how these things uh, impact our culture and tr transform our culture, we're going to lose the whole thing. And so... Ladies, when Paul is speaking about submission here, he's not talking about civility, being servile. He's not talking about menial bondage in the home. However, people in the, in the past might have interpreted that that way. He's not, seeing that, he's not saying that at all. He's saying that in, the new, in, in, in Christ, in the new person that we are, there are normal obligations that that God puts on men, women, young people, workers. We're going to look at these things in the next couple of um, weeks. Soldiers, every area of society. There are normal expectations that God puts on us that show us and stress that there's a measure of authority that we have and that must be recognized and that must be exercised if our, if our families are to hold together. And surely, if you have a look at any kind of history, when society consciously throws off all authority, it's replaced by an infinitely worse system. You just look at the French Revolution, you look at Pol Pot in Vietnam, uh, in Cambodia, you look at the Bolshevik Revolution, when people consciously throw off all kind of authority and say, we reject authority, it's replaced by a tyranny that is far worse. And Paul is saying, our nuclear family... Our little families at home that have been marked by God's love, that have received encouragement from the Holy Spirit, that know the care of God in our lives. If we, too, as, as nuclear families, need to know this an order and mutual submission if our families are to work well. Well, you can, you can choose to throw that off. But Paul is saying if you do that, the cost is you lose the whole thing. In other words, if you throw off a, a mutual um, submission, if you, th if, if you throw off of, of willingly submitting to authority when you need to, the whole family will stop being family. And the whole church will stop being church. And it will just be a stressful mess of relationships with people fighting with each other. All right? First thing, wives, use your freedom well. Secondly, husbands. And guys, I have to say up front, you know there are four commands here. Two of them are for you. Two for the men. <laughs> okay? So here we go. Husbands, love your wives. And, and do not be harsh with them. Bigger amen, please. Amen. Seriously, it's great to say we love our wives. But to not be harsh is the test, isn't it? So I want to put it to you guys that God would say to you, as he's saying to me, learn to be a lover in your life. Learn, that's what he's saying. Paul is saying, husbands, learn to be lovers. 
Learn to be kind. It, it has to be a learned behavior. Some of us are not like that. Paul is saying the Holy Spirit helps you to learn to be a lover in your home as a dad and as a husband. Learn to be a lover. And I want to put it to you that this is a distinctly Christian teaching. In the Greek culture and the ancient culture that Paul was ministering into, they talked about love a lot. Agape, phileos, all these kinds of love. But to love as an instruction in a home for a husband is, is, is absolutely uniquely Christian. And the New Testament commands us over and over to love. Love as Christ has loved you. The same grace that you've received, give it away. The same comfort that you've received, the way that Christ has comforted you with his love, love others in exactly the same way. And here, husbands, love your wife and do not be harsh with her. Do you notice it's um, not one-sided? And so this is a little couplet for me, you see. It's a little couplet. Wife submit, husband's love. Um, wives, is it easier to submit to a harsh, unloving, stern husband? Or is it easier to submit to a kind, loving husband? What's easier? You want your wife to submit? Well, are you loving, kind, patient? I'm so, so certainly not all the time. I don't say I'm perfect. I got, I've got it wrong thousands of times. But I'm saying, if the consistent thing in your life is harshness, unkindness, and impatience, why would a wife want to submit to that? So it is a couplet, you see? Husbands love, do not be harsh. Wives, submit. You see, this is, guys, this is where we deceive ourselves, isn't it? It's easy to say, I love you. <laughs> it, is, it is. But here, as in many other parts of the New Testament, the test is, the test is, the practical test by which we are to genuinely see whether our love is genuine, is, is, is there a devotion to our wives? Is there a kindness in our relationship? And uh, it's interesting, as I was doing some study this week, it says, this word, do not be harsh, it literally means do not embitter your wife. That's what it means. The root is that you're making your wife bitter when you're being harsh. And how quickly doesn't that become true? In our relationships, all, all kinds of different kinds of relationships, we quickly justify ourselves, and then the root of bitterness comes in. Uh, I've um, over years seen many things that I think the church has done that is unhelpful. So teaching out of Proverbs 31 about what wives should be, although I can understand some of that, it's unhelpful. Why? It just puts this incredible expectation about what a wife should be. And likewise, sometimes men come under incredible high expectations of what they should be as husbands. It's completely unrealistic. And so what happens over a period of time? Well, this is the, the goal that we must kind of, we must try and achieve and uh, over a period of many, many years, tiredness, disappointment, all these things come in, and suddenly there's a bitterness that comes into a relationship that should not be there. And so it's quite possible that we, in a horrifyingly easy way, we destroy the relationships of the, with those that are closest to us, our husbands and our wives. And so I want to put it to you guys. 
the context here is quite clear how we're supposed to apply this into our lives. Husbands, men in the house. The rule of Jesus, if we are saying we are under the authority of the head, Jesus, and he is ruling in our lives. The rule of Jesus insists, it demands that you and I as husbands, we serve our families and we love our wives with kindness as evidence that Jesus is ruling in my heart. That's how simple it is. This is not living by law. This is living by the Spirit. And that's what it means for a husband to daily work out what it means to have Jesus as his Lord and his Savior. First couplet. Husbands, love your wife and do not be harsh. Second part of the couplet. Wives, submit to your husbands. Use your freedom well, the freedom that you have in Christ. All that he's bought for you, you are co-heir with your husband in all of what Christ has done. All right? So now I'm aware I'm, I can be quite an intense person, so Helen's going to break it up with all the nice stories and uh, the application, all right? So Helen's going to say a couple of things in terms of these two things and how we've tried to work it out in our family, all right? Well, um, I suppose, um, first of all, I have to start off by saying that we are not the perfect family in case anyone was under that illusion. <laughs> we, we went to Kevin and Barbie's for lunch yesterday and arrived. Our car sound, sounded like a shouting match was going on. <laughs> we were all at each other, um, but we all sorted it out and then had a lovely barbecue, uh, roast lamb with Kevin and Barbie, which was really nice. But... I think the thing about families is um, we're all a group of individuals and we, we come together and we learn to work out this relationship with each other. And I think one of the things I love about family, it's the place where you can really be yourself. Um, it's the way you can mess up and uh, get angry, but then people can forgive you and you can love each other and support each other. And uh, so we're not talking about being perfect, but we're talking about cultivating love and forgiveness and uh, a wonderful way that we can appreciate each other. I, the way that I understand submission, um, and I think when we were chatting earlier and said it's true, submission is something you kind of have to learn, isn't it? It's not something that's intuitive or natural to any of us. And um, I like to think of submission as playing on a team. So let's take football as an example. It's like playing on a football team. And every team needs a captain. Because what does the captain do? The, cap the captain cheers the guys on and says, come on, guys, this is our strategy. Let's, let's aim at this for this um, half. Um, why don't you take the ball and dribble up the, the, that side and then pass across? And he can have a bit of the strategy, but, he, but the captain is generally the, someone who gives the kind of sense of uh, cohesion to, to the team. But on a, on a marriage team, so if Ant is the captain, then I get to also play on the team and we get to talk together. Because I think a good captain would ask his player's opinion, wouldn't he? He would say, you know, what do you think? Do you think that's a good idea? And then they say, no, that's a stupid idea. Then the captain will go, oh, okay, I won't do that. <laughs> and they would, t a good captain would take his player's thoughts and ideas into um, consideration. And then one of the things you notice if you watch football 
it's not the captain who always scores the goals. Imagine if the whole team's playing and the captain's on the back line and the captain says, wait, wait, I'm coming to score the goal. Just put it in position and then I'll get there. No, on a team, everyone gets to score a goal. It's not anyone specific, just the captain. So when we're in our marriage team, it's not about the captain, the guy gets to do everything. Being in submission means we play to our strengths and we enjoy the differences that God has given us. And that's even how we've tried to lead in this church because Ant and I don't have the whole package. We've got some gifts which God has given us, but we don't have all the gifts. And that's why we need guys, men and women, to come and lead alongside us. And it's the same in marriage. Um, I know in very traditional views of marriage, there can be things of um, the, the wife does the cooking and the shopping and then the husband mows the lawn and takes out the rubbish, or I don't know how your family does it. Um, we do some of those things, but those are those are not. We don't. Those aren't what the Bible's talking about. Um, it's saying find what's what works for your family. Ant likes the cooking in our family, which I'm very happy about, and I also like cooking. But I love the DIY, so I'm always like going in with a screwdriver and a nail, painting the walls. And Ant's very happy about that too. So we just find out what the rhythm is for our family and we use our gifts and our strengths. But the point is, submission is that we work together as a team. It's, um, do, you know, do you know that old song that says, he says tomato, I say tomato, let's call the whole thing off. If we're always going to be saying, I want my way, then things aren't going to work. Submission is saying, let's find the, the way that we can work out together, playing to our strengths. And uh, maybe I can say this little catchphrase, which we've kind of always used in our marriage. The team either wins or loses together. You can't be and says, oh, I won that argument. No, well, then actually the team lost. Do you know what I'm saying? Or I said, oh, I got my way there. No, the team lost. We, we win together. Agreement brings a winning. Um, it's not, we're not, we don't play against each other. We're on the same team, and we need to remind ourselves about that. And then I want to say this is something I have to learn because it's my terrible weakness. And I've been doing this devotion called Watch Your Mouth. <laughs> Because that is not always my strength. And um, I, I would say submission is probably about not chirping all the time, not having a, this the last word, isn't it? It's always just saying, I just, I just want to say what I think at the end. And sometimes it's actually just saying, okay, let it lie. Choose your battles. You don't have to win every argument, have the last word on everything. And... Um, and our mouths can either build unity and build a wonderful sense of honoring, or it can undermine that and break that down. And so for me, submission is, has a lot to do with my mouth. Um, and then I want to say submission also has something to do with trust, doesn't it? Like Ant was saying, it's so much easier to work on the team with someone who is kind and thoughtful and takes your perspective it's so much easier to do that. Um, so trust is an interesting thing because trust is something, sometimes you think, well, I'll only trust that person when they deserve it, when they show me 
that I can trust them. But also I want to say trust is something that you give, give someone. It's a gift to say I'm going to, I'm going to trust you because I know your weaknesses and um, I know the areas where you struggle, but I'm actually going to choose to trust you. But we can only really say that when we're first just saying I'm trusting my, my Father in heaven, that he's working out good things in this relationship and in this marriage. And um, I think that we first go to God and we say, God, I see my son or I see my daughters struggling in this way, your son or your daughters struggling in this way, and I want to pray for them. So when you look at your ladies, when you look at your husband, sometimes it's really helpful to see them first of all as God's son. And say, Lord, please minister to your son. I'm not doing a good job of it. I need you to minister grace to him and help me to minister grace to him as your son. And, and same for husbands. She's your daughter, Lord. And to treat her with honor in that way. So I don't know if those are, those are very simple thoughts around submission. But I think they're very practical. And if you can think of team, playing on a team, and what a team player looks like. That's what submission is. Thanks. <clears throat> so I, I did ask for the teenagers to be in today because uh, I wanted also for you to hear this in terms of how you fit into the family and also that you hear what the Bible says about moms and dads and how we are supposed to work together because you also fit into that. And the thing is, the thing is that when you're a child, um, we're going to look at this next um, couplet, if you like, which says, children obey in everything that pleases God. That's a very bold statement again, and I'm always interested, Paul summarizes things so succinctly uh, for th in a powerful way. So the, he says, so, so God would say, children obey, and as teenagers, you're coming into a new freedom. You, you're kind of coming into a place where you're becoming adults. So I want to, I want to try and address both of these things. But then again, uh, dads, I'm afraid you're going to get another one now. Because what else does the Bible say? It says, fathers, again, dads, fathers, do not provoke your children. <laughs> do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. All right? So we're going to look at this last little couplet uh, and try and say a couple of things to both the teenagers and to parents with their kids. I think the best way to understand what Paul is trying to say here about um, children and teenagers and how we can work as a family is how, how can a child or a young person best express their love for Jesus, assuming that they love Jesus? Um, well, again, I think to come back to my first point, there's something about submission that does show us that we love Jesus. I said, I said sub submission is for all of us. And so in the same context of saying that, I want to say to you young people today that one of the, the amazing privileges of a, of a parent is to encourage their child. One of the most meaningful things for mom and dad is to encourage their children and to see them thrive and to see them come into their destiny and to start living uh, the life that God has gifted them to live. It's a great privilege as a, as a parent. And so that's been one of the great thrills of our life is to see our boys grow and, and get into their, their gifting and to encourage that and to say, come on, you can do it. But I want to put it to you, young people, 
that encouragement is a creative act. Encouragement is a life-giving act. It's something that, that brings life to somebody else. And why Paul speaks about obedience when, when at the same time we recognize that, in, that the destiny we want for our kids needs to be encouraged is because what do you think makes encouragement easier? If you're constantly fighting with your child and trying to just get something working at home, it's very hard to encourage in a creative way, isn't it? So Paul says, saying, actually, if you want to speak destiny of your children, and that's what you want to do, what, what kids can do, what we can do, is we can help make our parents' job a little bit easier by giving them obedience. That's what he's saying. And at the same time, I want to say one of the concerns for me is that we see in our culture so much disobedience from children, and it's particularly painful and distressing when it's all done in the name of kindness, and we're being kind to our kids. We're making progress. Now, Paul says bluntly, he says, children obey in everything. You say to me, well, Ant, surely there are times when we shouldn't obey if someone's asking us to do something that's wrong. I say, absolutely, I agree with that. But don't dismantle the whole thing for the sake of the exception. That's what Paul, we're going to miss the deeper truth of what Paul is trying to say here. And unfortunately, history is littered with the abuse of children by immoral people and immoral parents. And I don't think Paul is excusing that at all. What he is saying is that we have to recognize, kids also, we have to recognize the order of God in our homes. And what we can give as a gift to our parents, we can give, yes, Dad. We can give that as a gift. And that's going to help my dad to encourage me. But if it's always, no, Dad, no, Dad, fighting, 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 very hard to give creative, life-giving encouragement. Are you with me? So, Dad's, we don't get away easily either. That's, that's, that's Paul's instruction to the, 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 the children and to young people in the house. But fourthly, Paul says, Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Well, why does Paul only say fathers? Why does Paul not say mums? Mums. Well, I want to say, guys, it goes back to the first thing that I said. If you are a harsh husband, most likely you'll be a harsh father. If you speak with harshness to your wife, you're going to produce harshness over your kids. You know what Paul is trying to say here? That produces discouragement. I'm not talking about when we blow it and we occasionally get discouraged. What I'm talking about is a discouragement in a child where you can see a child is discouraged. They're completely lacking in confidence. They can't engage with other people. They're shy. I recognize different people have different personalities, but they're so withdrawn that they can't interact. Why? Why? Probably because at home, authority has been used in the home and has crushed them rather than liberating them. So Paul says twice to us, guys, because we have to get it in our heads, don't be harsh to your wife and don't discourage your children with the same harshness. Be kind. You want to encourage your kids? Be kind. You want to bring life to your children? Be kind. 
Secondly, I want to say, coupled with that, is sometimes guys can be passive about the things they really should be doing. And that can also be a great discouragement. Because sometimes your children want to hear, no, this is the way we're going to go, and this is what we're going to do. And we're too passive when we need to be giving a direction. And then in other areas, we are far too aggressive and not kind at all. So, gentlemen, I'm afraid it's been a little bit um, directed to us this morning. Well, I'm not afraid. I'm just saying that's what the Bible says. Husbands, love your wife and do not be harsh with them. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You see, Paul, four verses, he brilliantly shows us how we can have a happy family and ultimately how the church can be a happy place. And it shows us where we are weak, how we can become strong. And all of this is impossible without the rulership of Christ. See, that's what, that's what he's saying. In the light of the first two chapters, this becomes possible if Christ is ruling in you. If the Holy Spirit really is your guide. I know people get frustrated with me when I say, don't live by rules, but walk by the Spirit. But this is, this is exactly what Paul is saying. Exactly here. It's got to come from the inside. I can, I can say, John, be kind. John, be kind. The Bible says be kind. Mark, the Bible says be kind. So I say that. But unless it's coming from a transformed heart, unless it's coming, yes, from revelation and understanding on the inside, I can speak until I'm blue in the face. It doesn't make any difference, does it? It's got to be revelation by the Spirit of God into our hearts that enables us to live differently. And guys, I'm just trying to encourage you. This is all very simple. <laughs> Love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength. Jesus said the greatest commandment and love each other in the same way. Simple. Four imperatives. And kids, if you love Jesus with all of your heart and all of your soul and all your strength, it will become easier to say yes to your parents. And when they are out of line, don't worry, because the Bible also says quite clearly what moms and dads should be doing. And so they don't get away with it. And it all works out in the end. <laughs> all right. We, all we have to do is love Jesus and commit ourselves to doing that and to love each other. All right. So what I'd like to do as we finish, you, you've got the last word. Yes. Um, I, just, I was just thinking about some things with obedience. Um, obviously, when, you, when you're bringing up, um, now I'm not talking if you've got little ones, little two-year-olds and that age. Uh, something that we found really helpful when we were bringing up our, our boys, and it's, it's really been a wonderful thing to see the fruit of it in their lives now that they're in their early 20s is I think obedience is something that when you get it right, when they're very little, it produces a beautiful fruit in their lives when they're older. And um, one of the things we used to have as our little, and uh, please don't take this as, as rules, this is just something that worked for us, um, but we used to say, 
to our boys. We had three expectations around obedience. We said obedience must be cheerful. It must be complete. You don't do it sort of. You must do what mommy or daddy said. And you must do it straight away, not after, I'll give you a fifth chance and a seventh chance and eighth chance. (laughs) No, you do it straight away. You do what I asked and you do it with a cheerful attitude. And if it's then we say, okay, let's try that again with a smile. And you, you make it a little bit of a joke, but it's a training time. And it just brings in that kind of sense of expectations of training your children that obedience is a good thing. And, and actually, then one day when they're in a job and their boss asks them, can you do that? They go, oh, I don't feel like it. No, because they've learned as a toddler, <laughs> they have some things put in their lives that they're going to do well in their job one day because they've learned how to play on a team. And then one of the other little things I found really helpful is um, no means no. <laughs> and I think that's not just because you're trying to be obtuse with children. It's actually because it saves their lives. And um, it could be that crossing a road and a toddler runs off and you say no, and they run in front of a car, that's the kind of, this is quite serious, that they can learn that no means no, so that it actually saves their lives. And, and, and just reinforcing that firmly with your children. I think sometimes we can want to apologize to our children. We feel like we, we're not being, we, we, we're being harsh with them. And that harshness and teaching obedience is not the same thing. If we teach obedience in a harsh way, that is different. But we need to put in healthy boundaries for our children. And, um, but then as children get older, you need to bring them on board. You can't just say, do this, do that, don't do this. It needs to be something where they come on board. And one of the things we used to do from when our children were about eight or nine and getting a little bit older, and especially when they were teenagers, we would have family chat times where we would sit around the table and we'd begin to talk about some things that we wanted to value as a family. And I remember um, being convicted about, this is a a silly thing, but it was about um, fruit juice. Um, maybe I was a bit heavy into this at that stage. We were thinking like, we don't want them to lose their teeth, so we're going to go for all water. <laughs> and we thought, this is going to be a hard one. So we sat around the table and we said, boys, we think water's a good option for us as a family instead of drinking Coke and fruit juice because we want your teeth to last. And um, they went, we were amazed. They said, oh, okay. They weren't too fussed about it, which was a great thing. And now today, if you ask them what they want to drink, they generally choose water. Or now they can have some beer as well. well I don't mind. But it's but water is generally what they would go for. Um, but uh, I mean, it was also that we had to take them on a journey and talk with them and actually say, let's um, let's see this as a value, something that we want to to do. And I think with children, when they show responsibility, then let the boundaries go wider. You know, you've got to, got to give them that independence. You're working them to walk towards adulthood. If your boundaries are so tight that you release them into adulthood without any sense of independence and responsibility, it's, it's very hard for them. And um, I think that one thing I have to be aware of is not to nitpick with your children. Why is that not picked up? Clean your bedroom. And that can be very 
um, exasperating. But then children, you can make it so nice for your mum and dad if you just did it without them even asking. Not tomorrow or five days' time, but actually before they even thought to ask you. So I want to just drop that in there for the teenagers. Um, <clears throat> and then I think that something Anton and I have really had to be aware of is when we bring our stress into the home. And that's where, the, that's where niggles can arise. So it's really hard if you've had a stressful day at work and then you bring that stress into the family dynamic and it can just begin to cause things to be um, a little bit grating. So parents, we have to be aware that is it, are they really bugging us or is it just some other things that are bugging us and we're taking it out on them? Um, and then teenagers, seeing as you are here, a few of you, I want to just say... I want to really empower you today and say that obedience is a choice. Isn't that great? You have the power to choose to be obedient. Isn't that wonderful? Do you get it? You have power to choose to obey. And that means that when mom and dad saying do this, you can, you can have that inner conflict inside yourself. I do want to do this right now. I want to play on the PlayStation. Or you can choose power and say, right now, I'm going to choose to be obedient. And then you can do what your mom says. Yeah. And then I've got two more ants. Two more. And I think this is God's sense of humor because why is it that when your children become teenagers, Guys go through midlife crisis and women hit premenopause. The hormones are just raging in the house. I don't know why God did that to coordinate teenage hormones and everyone's hormones to be going through a haywire moment. But we need to be aware of hormones. It generally causes much havoc in families. And if you have a teenage child, just hang in there. That's all I can say. They come out the other side amazing human beings. But you just hang in there and you be gracious and you help each other. And I think it's also about identifying what's going on inside of you and say, right, I realize right now that you are, your hormones are just making you into a monster. <laughs> but you still have to go and take out the garbage. We just have to be appreciative and understand and uh, not let those things win the day, but be compassionate about it. Um, so, yes, I think those...